Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Two thousand twenty two NBA playoffs are off and running. And boy, we've already got some interesting storylines going on. We had the Pelicans last night. Gave up a huge half to Devin Booker, 31 points in the first half. And then he pulls his hamstring in the third. Now we got ourselves a tie series between the one and the eight. Grizzlies smacked up the T Wolves after Minnesota came in and shocked them in the first game of the series. That one's tied up, going back to Minnie. And then, bang, you had Jimmy Butler put up 45-5-5 and against the Hawks. Really, really explosive performance from Jimmy G. Buckets, reminding us what he does in the fourth quarter in the postseason. The Heat are up 2-0, going back to ATL. And then, as we are recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, Got more action coming for you. Of course, the series everybody's talking about, Brooklyn and Boston Game 2. What a fun one that's going to be in Beantown. Philadelphia and Toronto, first game from up north. That's Game 3, and Toronto's really, really hoping to win that one. And then you got the Bucks, the defending champs, hosting the Bulls in Game 2 as the late night cap on TNT. We're going to talk about all those series. Let's not forget about the Warriors and Nuggets, Mavs and Jazz as well. But we're going to talk about all those series and more here on Keep It in 94, your favorite basketball podcast, whether you know it or you don't. Spencer Davies and Brian Fritz, another episode brought to you, of course, by the basketballnews.com podcast network. Brian had a little bit of a vacay last week. He, we did our pod and then he left for vacay. So we'll ask him about how that went. Apparently a very interesting conversation with somebody who was not a Kobe fan and a big Magic fan. That was pretty funny. He was telling me about that before we started recording. So once we get that little anecdote out of the way, we will get into the postseason, break down every series, and then we'll get out of here. I think that's an easy little itinerary for keeping it in 94 this week, don't you think? Sometimes when you get into a conversation with somebody, it's best not to get in an argument and just kind of nod your head throw a couple facts their way, and just leave it at that. And that's what my conversation <laughs> you just uh, alluded to kind of went. I was like, oh, yeah? Okay. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we all have uh-huh. those. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I am not getting an argument about this with this person. I just, It's not worth it. <laughs> I'm not getting riled up over it, this you know, right now. It's just like, you know what? You're an expert in other things that I don't know anything about. 
So I'm not going to get, you know, all riled up about that thing. And um, I feel like I know a little bit more about basketball than you do, Chief. <laughs> I love it. Goes. But I did go to Florida and I was outside for three days and somehow did not get sunburn. Um, two of those days spent waiting in uh, very long lines at uh, some of the theme parks there. But I did know I was going to be waiting and uh, I can't complain because... I actually got into the parks for free. So, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. And uh, I got to go on the things I wanted to go on, especially because I'm a coaster guy. I went on the VelociCoaster at Universal Studios twice. And that is the most hellacious, incredible, wild ride I've ever been on. Brian, we got to get you here at Ohio. We got to get you to Cedar Point, my man. I know. I want to go. Trust me. It's let's on do a my keep it in, Let's list. do a keep it at 94 episode for Cedar Point. Let's do it, man. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm ready. Well, here's the thing. So near me, because I'm in North Carolina, I haven't been over to Carowinds, which is over by Charlotte yet. And uh, basically, some friends of mine here, we were talking about going. We're going to go some point. And I was looking at like their rides. And I go, oh, these are pretty nice. You know, there's, there's some good coasters. But, you know, nothing like what I've been on, like... Universal Studios, quite honestly, SeaWorld in Orlando has some great coasters too, or even Bush Gardens down there. And then I looked and I saw one called Fury 325. And basically, this ride goes for three minutes and 25 seconds. The track is a mile and a quarter long. It goes up to 325 feet. It has a 191 foot drop at like an extreme angle at some point. And it gets up to 95 miles per hour. Feels about as fast as Jackson Hayes was running down that floor yesterday. You know it. <laughs> like, that's actually a perfect little segue, Brian. As I said earlier, the Pelicans tied the series with the Suns at one. And that third quarter, Jackson Hayes was just outrunning all them folks. Did you see how much he was sprinting? It looked like it was his own personal track meet. He was getting out in transition, caught the ball, dunked. Got out in transition, caught the ball, dunked. High handoff, big time block on the other end. He just had an amazing third quarter. And I mean, you, you, this is why you can't watch a game from a box score, but he like completely changed the tempo of that game and eventually just set the tone for the rest of that half. It was crazy because it wasn't even the whole quarter. It was like a two to three, maybe four minute stretch or whatever it was, but he went nuts. And like you said, it did set a tone because... Hey, you look at the Suns, and what have we always talked about? Like, defense, they can really, you know, clamp teams down. Like, they did the Pelicans in the first game of that series, and the Pelicans have admitted that. Like, we're a little bit shell-shocked, you know, coming out for game one. and But they weren't in game two, obviously. And they came out, and they were putting up some numbers right off the bat, which I didn't see coming. And you wonder, is this going to be sustained? And, you know, gets to the fourth quarter, and it's still pretty close. And you're like, well... Suns will just take over, even without Devin Booker, you know, because this is what the Suns do. And they couldn't do it. And the Pelicans put up 125 points on them, which nobody saw coming. Answer after answer after answer. I mean, Brandon Ingram, what a job he did. Like, yeah, he scored 12 points of his 37 uh, in the fourth quarter for field goal makes. Um, but, I mean... Nearly a triple-double. You look at Brandon Ingram throughout the game, really, but in the fourth, just taking those shots. I mean, baseline, fadeaway jumper, 
pull-up jumper, getting to the free throw line, just making big shots. And I mean, and he did it on a bad ankle. Yeah, he sprained his ankle in that game. He's on a bad ankle, and he took over down the stretch. Thirty-seven, eleven boards, nine assists. I, I, you tell me if you disagree, but I think that's the best game of his career. It could be, especially because it's on this stage, right? It's his first playoff win, and he has those numbers, of course. And you have to look at game one as well and say, okay. These guys were tired. They just played on Friday. They had basically a game, a, a day and a half to prepare for the buzzsaw that is the Suns, right? So, and, and you say the same thing for Atlanta, which we're going to get into as well. But I feel like, you know, with Ingram, the way he's able to press the issue, you have McCollum, who is a pull-up killer, just like Ingram. They're both pull-up killers. They combined for 20 in the fourth, by the way. And then I love the way that Willie Green is just trusting his young guys. It's such an interesting, an interesting dynamic that they have going there. Um, well, look at those shots that they're getting. I mean, you talk about down the stretch of that game and Ingram and what he did, but the shots that CJ McCollum hit, but also the effort they are getting from Jose Alvarado and the big three that he hit down the stretch. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, like to that point, that's one of the three rookies that's getting a ton of playing time for this team. And I saw a tweet on Twitter. I don't know the accuracy of it, but it seems like it's very, you know, realistic because it's a Pelicans Everything fan. Everything on Twitter is true. Just go with it. But it's a Pelicans fan. Uh, but this honestly could be true because of how much they've played so far. Rookie minutes in the playoff by team. Number one, the Pelicans, 150. Okay. So you can credit that to Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, and uh, you also have, um, sorry, uh, Trey Murphy the third. Someone yeah. I interviewed, by the way, before the, the draft. Then you have Toronto at 35 next. The Nuggets, 34. Memphis, 29. Nobody else in the playoffs remaining has played a rookie or any rookies total more than 16 minutes. They are trusting that Herb right there Jones is trusting so your young guys. That's trusting Jones your young played, guys. Herb Jones played 41 minutes in yeah. their game two win. 41 Fre- minutes. Fresh legs, man. Fresh legs. And Willie Green's yeah. trusting them. But the thing is about this, it's a very unique team because, you know, you're usually like, oh, you know, the rookies, they got to go through their growing pains. They've got to get their feet wet in the, in the postseason before they do any of this. But they're a really unique team. Because they're packed with vets. And they have guys that don't back down. You know, I'm looking at, you know, a player like uh, a Jonas Valanciunas, who, uh, you know, has pretty much been splitting time with Larry Nance Jr. in the series, as he has, as he's, you know, should be, because it's kind of taken DeAndre Ayton a little bit out of the game. I think that Jr.'s been tremendous in this series. And I think Jr.'s been tremendous over the last week or so. He was huge in the play-in games. You saw what he did uh, against the Clippers for them to get into this position. And it, it's just the, the the overall grit that he's playing with. I think the the dribble handoffs of C.J. McCollum can definitely become something huge. It, it's the way that he's crashing the glass, offensive boards, gets those tip-ins, uh, defensive boards, ripping things away. The only thing you have to worry about with him is the turnovers and transition. But more or less, I think that Junior has been absolutely tremendous for this team um you know you look at Trey Murphy I just mentioned him earlier 
knocking down big time shots and big moments. This is a rookie. And this is a guy that didn't even play that much in the regular season. I mean, he did, but like he didn't have that all those minutes, you know, mid-season. And then he started picking up playing time as the season went on and Willie Green was looking for the rotations that he wanted. And all of a sudden, he's become crucial for this team, stretching the floor, offering them length on the defensive end. It's like, it's all, everybody's contributing. But like we were saying, I mean, a few weeks on this podcast, while they were fighting for this play-in spot, they made those moves at the deadline to prepare for next year. But they're getting some solid chemistry experience with each other, not necessarily playoff experience and, and uh, you know, all those things together. But they're, they're gelling with one another. And they're doing it. And, and to do that, to beat that Suns team on their floor by 11, I know Devin Booker had 31 in that first half. And he was just absolutely on fire. I felt bad for half the defenders, whoever. I, he was just absolutely cooking CJ. I felt so bad. Um, you know, there was that a, was a Kobe Bryant, you know, performance right there. He, like, he, I mean, he loves Kobe. And that, he, like you said, he was cooking everybody. And it didn't matter who was guarding him. Yeah. But here's my point to that is that when Devin Booker exited the game, it was still a one possession contest. It's not like they were taking everything that Devin Booker was giving to them, but they weren't losing their composure and they stayed in the game. And then you saw in the fourth how anytime Chris Paul would hit a jumper or Mikel Bridges would get a dunk or some sort of momentum altering play would happen, the Pels had an answer particularly Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum. They had answers. So now, that being said... There you go. And I don't think anybody saw the Pelicans tying the series up, especially winning a game in I Phoenix. saw them getting one, Brian. I will say that. I, I, I put out my predictions before the but playoffs you, but started But did you think they were going to win a game in Phoenix? No. I said they would get right. one game. And that was because I always believe in the student beating the apprentice at least yeah. once. And but Willie Green that being, being said, that of Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. So they so now with the series tied at one apiece, this performance going on the road and getting the win, Devin Booker up in the air with his status because of you know the pulled hamstring, and he did not look happy, you know, on the sidelines after that. And you know, we'll find out how severe it is, but it did not look good from his reaction. Uh do you feel any different? I mean, do you think that the Suns are really vulnerable in this series now? Because I'm still in the belief the Suns are going to move on. Is it going to get a little harder? Yeah, but they're still the Suns. They still know how to get things done. And they went part of the season without Devin Booker, and they were still very successful. Yes, I feel like the Suns take care of business. Maybe not as handily as we had originally thought, but yes, I think they take care of business. The Pelicans aren't going to lay down. Uh, that the Pelicans were around in game that one Mark too. Spears tweeted, "Yeah, yes, yes, they were. They made a huge run, and then Chris Paul decided to be the hero as he always is. Nineteen points fine. in the fourth quarter, and he but just drove. Them. I mean, yeah, that was also a, a huge eight in game. Um, and this is this is how it goes in the playoffs, guys. Like everybody's going to have different nights, different types of production, different." I don't want to say different roles, but different impacts. How about that? Uh, I just think that 
Chris Paul just didn't have it yesterday. That that was all that was down the stretch. Um, yeah. I think we're going to see more Cam Johnson. Maybe we are going to see a little bit more Landry Shamit with Devin Booker out. Uh, or if he is out, I should say he's not. He hasn't been declared anything yet. Um, Aiton's going to have to figure out when Larry Nance Jr. is on the floor how to play the correct way, I think. Um, That's and, a tough matchup for him. It is. That's a real tough matchup. I mean, he can obviously have an advantage on the offensive end, but still on the other end of the court and the way the Pelicans are running because they're just trying to make it into a track meet. Sure, sure. And Jr. is just so good at making plays out of the middle. Um, with his back to the basket or finding backdoor cutters. Had a big jumper, actually. Contested jumper in the fourth uh, yesterday. But uh, on the Sun side, I mean, I'm excited because now I get to see Mikel Bridges um, be more aggressive. And when he's more aggressive, they're a better team. Um, I don't know how many games it'll be. I, I still think that the Suns could easily rip off four straight. Uh, but... The Pelicans know now, with this being an even series, that they're gonna give, they're gonna give it their all in Game Three. Like this Game Three, they may as well treat it like a Game Five. Oh, absolutely! And it, this team has just had a different dynamic since they made the CJ trade and they got Larry Nance. And you know, we've been waiting to see if it's gonna come together. It's kind of been hit and miss or whatever. Um, but now here we are in the playoffs. You know, we know how these things go. You know, when it comes to matchups. And if the Suns are without Booker, it just makes it tougher for them. I, I still like the Suns' chances a lot, and I think they're going to drill down here. But, you know, it, it has gotten a lot more interesting after watching these first two games and now what's happened with Booker. And look out, by the way, look out. I bet that Aaron Holiday is going to get minutes in this series because campaign has not been good in the first two. Yeah, that's a good so point. So look out for that. Look out for that. Maybe look out for a little bit more Torrey Craig, try to get a some uh you know physical presence in there because more Tory Craig means less Jay Crowder and Jay's just been not good from the field as a shooter as a shooter he's been good defensively he set the tone kind of last night as well um as we know he is the only person in NBA history to have a uh, quadruple single um and that was you know a, a tremendous like funny stat line um but just from the field, he's just not had the touch. So, you know, look out for some adjustments. Monty Williams knows what he's doing. Um, and, and yeah, just keep an eye on that. want to shift focus, though, um, to the other Western Conference game that was going on. NBA TV, by the way. Don't really get that one. Uh, I, I understand that there are scheduling conflicts and you only have so many television partners. But uh, that seems a little disrespectful for the second seed. I digress. Uh, we had the Grizzlies and the Wolves. It's because the, of the markets. The, doesn't matter the seeds because of those markets, as we all know. That's all right, because, I mean, Ja and Ant are going to end up being bigger than anybody else. So, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but this one, before we even get to the game, I want to mother F the refs for allowing the first three minutes of the game to take 20 minutes in real time. Jeez. They had two reviews in the first 20 minutes, or the first three minutes of the game. That's why it went 20 minutes. Brian, there, there was were, a review one minute into the game. One minute into the game, we had a review. Brian, there were a combined 20 fouls and 33 free throw attempts in the first quarter. 
That's absurd. It was. Like, I, I get trying to make sure that these two don't get, like, into fisticuffs or whatever the hell you want to call it. But, dude. Oh, my God. Snail's pace. Just. It was a 40-minute quarter. Someone timed it. And nobody can get into a rhythm. I'm I'm surprised. There it was, was no for, flow. Yes. There was no flow. And But, I mean, it, there was a point there early on where I thought, man, these two teams are going to combine for, like, 25 points in this quarter. And then it finally got going, and they both got over 30. But it was just a, a ragged, horrible start to that game. Like, oh, my God, dude. I, I, I was sitting there. I'm like. Let them play. I mean, there are some in there that you just want to say, let them play, my God. Um, but, you know, to that point or whatever, you know, they, they get through the first quarter. It's 33-32. It's a close game. And then Memphis comes out and punches them in the face the next two, right? So in, in this game, for me, one, you, you have the tone setters. Obviously, it's John Morant. But I think the thing that got them off their feet when – you had Jaron Jackson Jr. in foul trouble, and you had Brandon Clark in foul trouble was Xavier Tillman. I thought Xavier Tillman came in, gave them a huge, huge boost. You know, this is a guy that hasn't played much, uh, much at all, honestly, after having a really solid rookie year. Brandon Clark ended up getting the leg up in the rotation, and, um, you know, he'd been kind of ousted. He played 20 minutes. Played 20 minutes uh, in game two. Ended up giving him 13 and seven off the bench. But it was the presence, I think, underneath um, the, matching the physicality because that's what the Wolves were doing to this team in the first game. They were just absolutely out-muscling them. And you even saw some of it in the first first uh, quarter and in, in some of the second quarter with Jaron Jackson Jr. in particular. They were just trying to go right at him. Carl Anthony Towns still just big-bodying him, right? And even on the the defensive end, when Jaron Jackson Jr. would try to put it on the floor, he just wouldn't have the strength to finish over either a Jaden McDaniels or a Cat or a Jared Vanderbilt when he was playing. You know, these are the things that Jaron had to figure out. And th- as the game pro- progressed, Jaron started to figure it out. And I think that that was huge for Memphis because now he's seeing if you can work inside out, draw fouls, get out into transition, then your shot's going to come, right? And he didn't really finish much inside. He had one tip-in dunk. That was his other field goal. But I think it was the way he was playing and matching that physicality on the defensive end where he was able to find it. And, uh, you know, he was playing next to Brandon Clark. He was playing next to to Xavier Tillman. Steven Adams has effectively been removed from this series. And I think that's for the I mean, he only played three minutes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think you play three minutes in a game. I think that's a pretty clear indicator that he's not going to see a minute the rest of the series. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. and they figured it out. I mean, to me, the Grizzlies just looked. I mean, both teams, but especially the Grizzlies, looked tight early in that game, and you know, the reps had a part in that and everything too. But once they found their flow, they really put the foot down on the gas pedal. And you could see them really feel a lot more comfortable. Their offense looked a lot better. And the T-Wolves could never find their flow, especially when it came to D'Angelo Russell. Because I kind of look at him as kind of the the benchmark for that team, kind of to gauge how they're going to be. Because I always expect stuff from Cat, who, you know, only had 15 in this game. 
And, you know, Ant-Man, you know, had that huge first game and he put up 20 in this one. He was solid, but Russell was kind of their barometer and he did not have a good game. No, he didn't. Uh, he had a really tough time getting into it. I saw that Chris Finch said he's going to try to get him off the ball a little bit more. Um, guys are getting into him a lot. Um, you know, that was the problem, I think, for for D'Lo. Um, he's just not as big as some of these other guards that that the Grizzlies have. Sans Ja Moran, of course. Ja's not a big dude. He's a strong dude, but he's not, like, tall or, or lengthy by any means. But I'm talking about the Baines and the Brooks just getting in the way um, and being able to to stifle him when he had the ball in his hands. Him being D'Lo, of course. Um, that, I think, was huge. Uh, you know, I think... Bain hitting shots early was big for those their confidence. Um, Kyle Anderson, I thought, was big. Um, you had big on the defensive end, of course. Um, Tyus Jones, man, I, I continue to rave about this dude. I don't know how. I, I feel like he just deserves the world. Like He is the best backup in the NBA, and he does not have a gaudy number to, to present. But he is just the best backup in the league. And I feel like more people have to appreciate what Tyus brings to the table with his smarts, the way he finds his teammates. It's just, it's tremendous. Um, but but going to Ja, I think this was important for him because this is like the first bit of adversity, so to speak, that he's faced. Because you know there 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 was adversity last year in the series with I believe it was the Clippers. Um, you know when you're down and you're not you know playing or you're not you know getting wins or whatever like that but that was their first season like in that situation since jaw had arrived this time around the grizzlies are the favorite and they're the ones who should be winning as the two seed over a, a seven seed now the wolves don't you know particularly match up with that or the they don't particularly match up well with the wolves that said jaw came back in this game and he put it on himself he told reporters that he had to find his teammates early and make sure that he was being aggressive for himself and aggressive enough for them to open up things for them. So what's he do? He basically puts up a triple-double in this game. And he's still just putting his head down, getting to the rack. I have no idea how that man had four free-throw attempts yesterday. No idea. All he does, and he does it smartly too, he doesn't do it recklessly, as he just burrows his way into that paint and tries to just outmuscle everybody, no matter even if you're seven foot and like 240 pounds. He's going right into your chest, and he's gonna get a bucket by hook or by crook. Um, and and that in itself kind of opened up his own confidence. He hit a couple pull up threes in the third, and then that was pretty much it. I mean, you're right in that it's a different dynamic for the Grizzlies this year because they are the second seed. There are expectations that come with this now, even though I, they've, you know, gotten to this point a lot quicker than I think people would have thought. But when you're the two seed and you've had the season that they've had, now the expectations are there and they got punched in the face in game one. And we saw kind of, you know, everybody talking about Anthony Edwards. And, oh my God, this kid's on the scene now. And, you know, Russell had a big game and you saw what they could do, you know, and the way they took it to the Grizzlies and they took game one on the road. And I think a lot of people who thought that the Grizzlies were going to win this series and win it pretty handily immediately had to raise their eyebrows and go, oh, 
Maybe this is going to be a little bit different. And then you come to game two, and it's a total reverse, and the Grizzlies stomp them, you know, on their home court, and they get a 28-point win. And now this sets it up where we're tied at a game apiece. The series shifts to Minnesota. I'm sure the crowd's going to be pretty vocal there. It's been a little while since they've had a team to get behind for the playoffs. Sure. And with the promise that they have in that you've got a guy who looks like just, you know, a star in the making, you know, an Ant-Man, and you've got Cat, and you feel like we've got a chance. We won game one, and that was not a fluke. You know, game two obviously was a setback, but, you know, we got a chance. And... I think game three is going to tell a lot about this series and we'll see if it's a blow up for either team, if it's closer, how the effect, you know, it has on whoever, you know, loses this, but it's, it's a big, big game three and we'll see what the atmosphere is going to be like in Minnesota and, and how they respond. Sure thing. And I, I think that that's also another um, point for the wolves is they need to just get back to the ball movement that got them there. Uh, I feel like in game two, once the chips started fall, falling in the direction of the Grizzlies, that they just tried to do a lot of it on their own. And even Chris Finch said that after the game. So they only had 16 assists. Yeah, you got to get back to moving that ball. Got to get back to yeah, moving the, that ball. I mean, the Grizzlies had 29 assists. They only had 16. They had 19 turnovers compared to nine for the Grizzlies. So that right there tells you they're not moving the ball enough. They're not forcing turnovers and they're turning the ball over too much. Sure. And it sure. doesn't help that they shot below 40% for the field and less than 29% for three-point range. Mm-hmm. So let's shift over to the uh, number one seed in the East, uh, the Miami Heat taking care of business against the Hawks, who were a lot more game in the, the second one than they were in the series opener. Jimmy Buckets going off for 45, taking over in the fourth as the Hawks started to sh- you know inch back into it. This one, uh, I feel like, was a reminder of who Jimmy G is. And I think that Brian Fonseca uh, actually did a very good job on basketballnews.com today, as this is being recorded on a Wednesday, of summarizing Jimmy as a 16-game player. A lot of us don't look at the regular season stats, and we look at the MVP talks and all that. But Jimmy... He's somebody that shows up in the postseason when you need him the most. And and Brian makes a very good point about how Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero have a combined 32 through two games of the playoffs. And if you add Lowry, that number only goes up to 55. Okay. Jimmy has put this team on his back um, after all of what we were talking about, after all of that. Hoopla that was happening less than a month ago, probably more like two or three weeks ago. I can't keep track of time anymore. But we remember the spat that he had with Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam and how things you know, looked like they were separating. And Jimmy comes out and plays one of his best games probably in his career in the playoffs. Now we know how much he took over in those 2020 finals. You definitely know how. Um, and, and those playoffs in general. He wasn't great last year, but let's not forget about how all those teams from the bubble had shortened, you know, basically shortened rest that offseason, and they all bowed out. So, you know, maybe that's an outlier. But Jimmy just, I mean, Jimmy took over. Uh, you, you love the effort that you see out of, you know, Gabe Vincent, I think, has been big 
in this series and is earning himself some more playing time. Uh, Max Struess hitting a trio of threes. They look solid. To the other point, though, I think the Hawks were a lot more prepared in this game. I thought that they hit first. Um, I think it's good for them to have only lost by 10 with how ugly Trey played, if I can be matter-of-fact here. Uh, I thought uh, I thought Trey was, even though he had a decent you know performance shooting or getting to the rack, not shooting the ball. He was only two of ten from three, but I, I think that you know when he's getting attacked or trapped off screens, he's just not been able to find his teammates well uh, against this team in particular because the Heat. He did- was reckless. He was flat out reckless in this game. He had ten turnovers. Yeah, yeah they had. You know, you have P.J. Tucker on you. You have Lowry. You have to worry about Bam at a bio. Like, you have to worry about, like, a lot of these strong guys. Um, and when they, like, limit your vision, then, yeah, uh, you're not going to have a good time. On, on the positive end, I think, you know, Bogdan was huge for him. He couldn't even get in a rhythm that game because he was in foul trouble the whole time. Everybody's in foul trouble in these playoffs, dude. It's driving me nuts. But, uh, you know, you had John Collins. You could see how much John Collins made an impact. You could see, you know, as soon as they decided to to sit double O and bring in John Collins, who's still nursing that finger injury, of course. But I think you saw how big of a difference it made on the offensive end. He's somebody that's able to put it on the floor, get inside um, as a big man, a very interesting big man who's like, you know, only 6'9 or so. Um, doesn't match up physically with Bam, so to speak, but is able to to stretch the floor a little bit, is able to to roll to the rim, uh, set decent screens, spot up, whatever you need him to do. Good partner for Trey in that two-man game, which then opens things up for guys like DeAndre Hunter, who I thought had a decent game yesterday uh, before you know Kyle Lowry decided to run into him and try and act like there were some fouls being called. And that, I say that as a huge Kyle Lowry supporter. <laughs> that was so Bush League yesterday, uh, how he was just you know, burrowing into people, but I want to make or one how point. He was by. just running in front of somebody and then like, Oh, and going down and getting fouls. Yes. And I think, yeah. I think Kyle like thought ahead and said, okay, Atlanta's starting to cut into this. What can I do? <laughs> um, so gamesmanship there, but I want to bring up one person in particular, one player in particular that I think needs to get more minutes next to Trey. And that's the lawn, right? And I saw it. In you know in the play-in game against the Cavs, how much a defensive impact he had. There was not one time when I was looking at that screen in Game Two when Delon Wright wasn't in someone's face, wasn't getting a deflection of sorts, wasn't forcing a bad decision. That dude needs to play more. Delon Wright needs to get like at least twenty-five minutes. Well, and I know that that two, takes away from the offense. I get that, but. I feel but, like if you could take some minutes away from Gallo, that you could make it work. But here's the thing. In game two, he did play 29 minutes. That being said, he was the only Hawks player that had a positive plus minus. He was at plus eight. Everybody else was at least minus one all the way to Herter, who was minus 17. And I get, he was the know, only and I, plus player I, for the Hawks. I get that you have to play your vets and maybe that's a decision you have to make, you know, if, if you're Nate McMillan, you have to figure some things out, but the lawn right needs to be on that floor. 
Especially, especially if Jimmy's going to go off for 45. And Jimmy was getting it whatever way he wanted. He was pulling up. He was bullying, getting his way to the line. Shot 12 free throw attempts and made 11 of them. Um, shot the three ball well out of nowhere. Um, you know, best game from three for him in a, a little while. You know, pull-ups. He was setting teammates up. He was getting into passing lanes. It was all good. Like, he had just such a good performance. And I think... Atlanta has an answer for that with Trey. The problem is Trey just historically is not good against the Heat. And they're going to have to figure that out. They got to get the ball into Bogdan's hands, though. Bogdan has to play more than 28 minutes, and I know that had to do with foul trouble. Again, it's killing me, this foul trouble garbage in the league. There were three guys on Atlanta, by the way, who had five fouls. Just saying. Yeah. Um, so that that also plays a big part. But I thought but that Atlanta. Would, I thought Atlanta was more prepared in this game, and I thought that they played a good game. And Bogdan yeah. nearly had them right back in it. But when you look at what the Heat did, this is kind of what the Heat do. Is it's kind of nothing special, nothing flashy necessarily. Just kind of go through the game, hard nose, and just pull it out. I mean, they they they. It's kind of a matter of fact kind of thing that they do. The one thing that I would that I do wonder about when it comes to the Heat is obviously they got this big effort, you know, from, from Jimmy Butler. They get 45 from him. Out, and they needed every point of it, basically, because nobody else is really cooking for them. And I do wonder what's going to happen with them going forward when they face a team that's a little bit better defensively. Because if they don't have Jimmy doing it, who's going to be that number two guy? Because they rely so much on Tyler Hero during the regular season. And, you know, he had 15. He was he was fine, but nothing special. But Lowry's not putting up big numbers. Um, I don't think you can expect Bam necessarily to carry you offensively. Obviously, you can defensively, and you'll get his points on offense. You know, Duncan Robinson had that big first game of, like, 27 points, and then he barely even played in game two and didn't score at all. So that's the thing I would look at when it comes to the Heat going forward. But I think they've got this series. Obviously, they're up two nothing, and they still, you know, got to you know put up two more Ws. But you know, they've got this one in hand. But I just kind of wonder about that for the Heat going forward. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I feel like Heroes will figure it out. He's he's been dealing with an ankle injury too, so that's you know obviously something that'll give him some issues, but. I feel like the Heat are going to be fine. I think Bam, they're going to get him more involved. We obviously saw that Duncan Robinson still has the the, the, the human torch part of his game in him, as we saw in game one. But he's still um, all over the place, so they need a little you know, bit of consistency there. Sure, sure. I And I get it. I get it. Um, but Bam, Bam's better than what he's been. And, and we know Kyle Lowry's better than what he's been as far as the, the points department goes. So... They'll be okay. They, they've got He's still a great scoring. flopper. I, I, he's, he's a great flopper. <laughs> I love Kyle Lowry. I, it's just that yeah. when you do that, like, like yesterday, you just see him just flat out running into DeAndre Hunter. Like, <laughs> and he's just and wailing his like arms around. there was a around. sniper in the audience. Oh! I, I, I just, uh, I can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's stick on this pattern. We went... 
We went one, two in the other end. Let's go one, two on the east. We'll go into to Boston oh. and Brooklyn, who still have yet to play a game too. It's it's actually going to happen on the night uh, that this podcast is released. So uh, Boston, Brooklyn, uh, one of my favorite games uh, in the playoffs to date so far. Um, I mean, it's what everybody's more can favorite. Be said? It's, it, it's a classic. It's one of the greatest game ones in a first round playoff series ever. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you have Kyrie Irving just shooting the cover off the ball and getting inside and finishing with grace. And you have the storyline with the audience. I've got my own little rant on that uh, in a minute. And it kind of has to do with what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But, you know, you have that element. You have, you know, Boston just playing this just incredible, incredible defense on KD. And by the way, uh, Jackson Frank and Mark Schindler both did a great job of, of breaking down um, one, not only the defense on KD, but two, Al Horford's impact on both ends. Uh, you can read both of those stories on basketballnews.com. Horford was a maniac defensively. I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the fourth quarter with him. 41 minutes he played. Did and you see he him keeping up? Down. Did you see him keeping he- up with KD? The way that he was moving on the—that's the most impressive thing to me—is like when he would shift from one side to the other, like just the recovery that he had all over the place. I was just like, this is like a throwback game from like a decade ago for Al. The other Brian actually like tweeted me that day and was like, you know, it's days like these where I'm reminded that Al Horford and Kevin Durant were selected uh, in the same draft when KD and then Horford in 2007. How wild is that? Congratulations, by the way, to Greg Oden. He's being added to Thad Mata's staff at Butler. But that was the number one overall pick in 2007. <laughs> um, when you look at this series, though, it's funny because before when we were talking about what the Grizzlies going to do and Stephen Adams, you know, probably not going to play much at, or at all the rest of that series. I do wonder, looking at this, when it comes to the Nets, you know, how much are they going to play Drummond? Because he did play 17 minutes. But that team played so much better when he was out of the lineup. Well, how about what Claxton did? Claxton won exactly. his, his defensive versatility out on the perimeter. You have a guy that's able to run the floor, grab boards, block shots, and finish high handoffs. Yeah. And he's got a nice so, little I mean, he's got a nice little touch on that hook shot that he's developing too. Because I mean the Celtics had this game in hand and then it changed once they went smaller and And um, brought Goran Dragic in, by the way. You bring in Dragic, the Wiley Vet. The Wiley Vet. Who who had not played good all season or during the half season that he did play or less than half. And then here he is, like you said, the Wiley vet and he just turned it on. And next thing you know, this guy's just, you know, knocking down shots. And then you, you know, KD really struggled. And I mean, the Celtics defense on him was incredible. Kyrie put in a magical performance in this game. Um, but the Celtics, I mean, they found themselves down late. I mean, you look at the last 45 seconds. And I think one of the great things from this game, too, was not only how close it was in the last second shot by Tatum and how frantic it was, but that neither team took a timeout in that final minute. And both coaches said, let's play it out. And it was fantastic the way that, that everything transpired because the Celtics, uh, you know, get a bucket. They're only down by one. The Nets have their possession. Things are all kind of all over Kyrie the place. Kyrie hits what we thought was probably the dagger 
at the time. Yeah, I mean, they they force KD. Like, Kyrie's, like, dribbling around. They trap him. He has to give it up to KD. And I think he thought he was going to get it back. And they weren't going to let that happen. So KD had to take this really long shot that was contested. It had, like, no chance of going in. Celtics get the rebound. And then it just frenetic on the other end. And there's just people move. How about all that over rebound by just, Al, by the way? My God, oh. what a rebound. It, I mean, but they were just like all over the place. And, you know, you got Marcus Smart looks like he's going to take the three. And it's one of those like, oh, no, from Celtics fans. It's like until it, unless it goes in because Marcus loves taking those shots and two guys come flying at him. But instead of shooting, he holds on to the ball. And what does Jason Tatum do? He cuts to the rim with all the chaos and everything being for Nick. He cuts to the rim and gets it and spins and lays it up and in at the buzzer. Just amazing. How ballsy. Like, that's the word for me. It's ballsy. It's testicular fortitude, as our friend Mick Foley would say. For Marcus Smart, with three seconds on the clock, to pump fake that shot. He you held know how quickly, the ball. You know uh, how quickly you have to be to, to pump fake a shot, put the ball down on the floor, and zip a perfect pass. To a cutter who has to spin upon the catch and get the ball up in less of that time period. You know, you know how the patience to have that because in the moment you you might be panicking and saying, I gotta get this shot up. And smart was patient. And he he read the defense, he pump faked, and Tatum did the the one thing that you should do when things start getting chaotic, you cut to the rim. Just run to the rim. Somebody will find you. And that's what happened. They found him, and he he got it in just before the red light came on. So it, that was an incredible finish. And I, I do wonder, like, that's a painful loss for the Nets. It's it's, But it would have been a more painful loss for the Celtics to lose game one on their home four, a game that they had in hand. And I, I really wonder what the – impact that would have had on them mentally if they had lost that game. But Celtics pulled it out and you know now we get ready for game two. I mean that it's one of the most physical, frenetic, hard played game ones of a first round series I think we've ever seen. And I think what this also shows too is you look at these two teams being matched up at the first round, these are probably two of the top four teams in the East. If maybe not top three, who knows? But uh, one of them's going out early, you know, Certainly and we could. still have, you know, we have at least three more games to play in this series and maybe as many as six. Certainly could. And, you know, we go through this whole this whole game without even mentioning Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Tatum with a huge third quarter. Jalen Brown with nine points in the fourth. But Tatum, to me, from the jump, is the one who set the tone. You know, dished out four assists in the first quarter, uh, was looking for, you know, his cutters, looking for shooters. Um, He draws so much attention when he goes inside that he's able to, you know, make plays off of that. And I think that this was one of the most mature playoff games of, of Tatum's career, even though he didn't get the spotlight because, you know, you obviously have 
Irving, who had his 39. I know that Jason Tatum had the game winner, but you everyone's looking at Marcus Smart's pass. But I think you just have to give kudos to, to Tatum for playing a really, really smart basketball game. I thought he that it was great. Like a, he looks like a guy that's ready to go toe-to-toe with the big dogs. Just poised. Just, just really poised. Exactly. He's very, very poised. And the moment doesn't look too big for him now. I mean, not that the before, but like after the amount of he time knows he's, been he, in the he's, he's stepped it up. We've seen that throughout this season. He has stepped up his game to another level to where he might be a first team all NBA this year. We'll see when that comes out. But he's just on a different level now. And this is the Jason Tatum we've been wanting to see. By the way, as we've been taping, there is some breaking news on the series. Woj is saying, based on Ben Simmons's progress in practices this week and the anticipation of him further accelerating in the coming days, Game 4 versus Boston on Monday is looming as a realistic target for his Brooklyn debut. Game 3 hasn't been fully ruled out yet, but that would require Simmons to clear more hurdles in a much shorter window of time. So we could be seeing Ben Simmons back in this series, which... Honestly, I don't know I if that's a good idea or not. I, I mean, I, I just I, don't. I, like you're, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna. I mean, look, I know how good Ben Simmons is as a defender. I know how good he is in transition. He's obviously an All NBA caliber player. I, I just don't think in the middle of a series is when you do something like that. He hasn't it, played at all this season because of. If you uh, give okay, if you only, give him like ten minutes, I get it. I get it. But but still, I mean, you're looking at a guy that has not played all year because part of it he was holding out. Then once he gets traded, he has a back injury. We don't even know where he is mentally because that's been looming on him the entire year. And now you are going to insert him for the first minutes of play this season into a game with a team that he's never played with He's never played with the Nets and these teammates. He's he's thrust into the middle of a playoff series that is a wild playoff series. And on top of that, even if you play him, say you begin playing him a game four, okay, because that's in Brooklyn. Then at that point, I don't care if you play him for five minutes or you play him for, you know, 30 minutes. You put him in there. You're probably going to keep playing him. And guess what? If you get there, Games five and game seven are going to be in Boston, and you're going to put them in that kind of an atmosphere. That's tough. It's real tough. And that is really, really tough, especially because, like I said, you know, I mean, I'm all not the mental things have gone. I'm not going to say it's an easy decision because I mean, it, if you have an all star and you have an all NBA defender on your team, then yeah, you probably want to try it out. And especially, I, especially if there's some adversity you're going through. If they're down 2 0 going back to Brooklyn, I get it. Like, I get it. But, and, I, and I'm with you too in that. I don't know how many minutes this guy can play because, you know, he's coming off the back injury. It doesn't feel like anything's forced necessarily on coming back, but like the timetable sure is ramped up pretty quickly. He just started playing four on four with, you know, physical contact. And now they're talking about him coming back, you know, in less than a week. And that man, that's, that's such a tough spot. And like, I don't know what the fit is with the rest of his teammates. I mean, if he plays, you can't expect much of anything out of him. I almost think it's like you said, like a does he play like ten or twelve minutes, and that's all you can really ask of him. I mean, I and guess even that's dependent. a lot. It's, it's dependent on how he responds to 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 game yeah. action and whatnot. That that's that is wild. If they if if Ben Simmons plays, 
I mean, when is the last time we've seen a situation like this where a guy's first minutes with a new team are in the playoffs? Yeah. Crazy. And this isn't like, oh, we're part of like, you know, a matchup where, oh, our team is definitely going to win or we're heavily favored or, oh, we're huge underdogs. We're just going to give them a, I mean, this is a heated back and forth. Sure. Blood sport of a series. And now, it, 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 and like you said, this isn't a situation where, you know, player goes down at the beginning of the season or hasn't played since last season and then comes back. Like, this is somebody that's a, a brand new environment, a brand new team. You know, th- that's... Well, if you've got Ben Simmons out there too, I don't care if you only play him for 10 minutes. You know what he's going to do on one end of the court. He's guarding one of their two best players. He's guarding oh, yeah. either Jason Taylor or Jalen Brown. You're not hiding him on that end of the court. He's he's That's what he's going to be asked to do is go in there and make an impact defensively. Yeah, and he'd be able to do that, I think. I think he'd be able to do that part. It's, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. I think that's a really good debate topic, actually. I, I think it's one of those things where if you want to give it a go in your home court, you do it, you see how it goes, you manage the minutes, and then you can decide if it's a good decision to play him going forward and how many minutes he can handle and how many you think is smart to do because there's there's so many very uh, aspects of, of this decision of playing him if, in fact, he does come back for game four. Okay, without risk of going on rant, I did want to bring up the one point. I didn't expect the Ben Simmons stuff to come up. So, But just real quick, um, on the Kyrie Boston fan stuff. Oh, yeah. I, well, you know what I said a, a couple weeks ago, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it here. But I love how Kyrie Irving responded to the questions that he got in that press conference. Um, a reporter was, you know, kept asking, what do you think about the hostile fans, the hostile fans, hostile fans? Kyrie's like, it's not hostile. Like they're giving me this energy. I'm giving this energy back. Yes. There's a better way to do it than flipping the bird. I get it. And no, we don't need think pieces about how flipping the bird is leading us down a dark path in society and all this bullshit. Like Mm -hmm. we don't need that. Um, I missed the time when you were allowed to boo a player and, and a player was allowed to, say F you back without it getting personal. And I don't think it got personal, at least from a large scale standpoint um, in that environment. And I think KD summed it up well too. It's like the booing comes from a place out of love because that's what they lost and they miss it so much. Like, I love that perspective. I love that perspective. I get the fine, but I also... I, I hate that we're going down this path of okay now fans saying screw you or or uh, you're you're an ass or whatever like that is over the line. That's not over the line, guys. It's not, it's not over, the, over line, the line. But the thi- I, I love the back and forth, and I love that there's kind of this. That's love the fun of the playoffs. That's that the is, fun. This of is the what game. we used to have, and things used to you used to get pretty nasty and stuff. But there is a line, and the only thing that I worry about because things can get so heated, especially in Boston. Okay, I mean it can happen anywhere, but Boston is notorious for this. You hope it's not the but racial I, component. Yes, absolutely. The, the racial component, and I hope there's not one guy, because that's all it takes is one person to take it too far. Yes, because I mean, if you you to take it too far, whether it's something verbal or beyond that, because hey, 
was it last year where they were throwing stuff at Kyrie? Yeah, you don't do that. You just yeah, you absolutely, absolutely don't do that. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Don't take yeah. it too far. So, I mean, there is a line. They've walked up to that line so far, and Kyrie has given it back. And by the way, he got fined $50,000 for some of the stuff that he said going yeah, back at But them. don't lump but, in those actions but, you know, with, that is with booing people fact. and saying, screw yeah. you, P well, words. Here's like, the thing. Who cares? That's not even over the line. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, there's a couple other things. There was, there was a B word thrown at a, a, a fan, I believe. But, um, <laughs> but sure. Yeah. He's what, giving what, it right what back, I, as he should. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and it's fun to see. I mean, I, I do wonder if Kyrie should kind of, I don't know. I guess, I guess he feeds off of it so much. It's just, does it affect the team if he's playing it up as much as he did? Well, it clearly it helped. And, yeah. It clearly helped because it fueled one of his best performances in the playoffs in a couple of years. It, it, it fuels him, but it doesn't help the team or is it a hindrance to the team on and off the court? I wonder about that. But take this that, case. Study. That being said, it's fun to watch. It is fun to see this because this is kind of some old school, like 80s, mid 90s stuff that's going on here. Like I said, I, I hope it doesn't get taken too far. But if it's like this. I mean, this is fun. Compared to this, dude. Compared to this, every arena Trey Young enters in the postseason screams "F Trey Young" at the top of their yeah. lungs. Yeah. He got spat on, and what's he been doing? See, that's he's that's been taking too far. He takes, and that is too far. But Trey goes. But to I the do love court, it when takes like, a bow and yeah, he drops fifty that, on your head. That's the best. Like when he goes into, and New I don't York expect Kyrie Irving to do bow. that if he got spat on. By the way, but all, all I'm saying is right. like, dude, like. And I love that that he even corrected the reporter. It's not hostile. Like, stop trying to make it into something it's not. It's banter. It, like, do you want everyone to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and all that other crap when when there's competition going on? No. You want fun. You want trash talk. You want guys in each other's faces. But I mean, like, this series fun. already, this series has been so intense. We've only played one game. And now we get to see what the you know, the rebuttal is going to be in game two, which is coming up here on Wednesday night. And, you yeah. know, see what Kevin Durant does, you know, what kind of adjustments Steve Nash and the Nets come up with for him to get better looks and see how he responds. And I expect KD to respond and we'll see how they can defend Boston. Can, can Boston keep up that kind of defensive effort, especially because you do have somebody like Al Horford that was anchoring it and he played big minutes in game one. So let's see what happens, man. It's fun to watch. It is. It's it's really fun. And I mean, again, man, like just let everybody, you know, have fun with it. Let everybody act the way. As long as no one goes over the line, like you said, no spit, no racial targeting or anything like that. That's completely unacceptable and will not be tolerated. But if you're lumping in booing and calling someone a, a, a bitch or something like that into that category, I can't agree with it. I can't agree with it. It's not the same degree of what should be considered over the line, in my opinion. I mean, going over the line to me is something that's even more personal. You talk about somebody's family. Correct. I mean, that's up. Yes. That's that's off limit. That's off limit. Yes. If somebody does that, then you know, get out of here. Get the hell you out. Know? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and that's where right. I will back the player. But yeah, I mean, if you can't handle someone calling you a, a p word or calling you a bitch or something like that from the crowd. Like you're in the wrong sport. I just buddy. don't. I just don't see how that's over the line. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, 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 I guess I, mean, I don't know. You might not like it, but guess what? You got to take it. 
And you can dish it back. That's the other thing. Right, and that, that's the way you shut them up is by what you do on the court. You don't let it get to you, and you win games. You have good performances. That's the ultimate, you know, forcing somebody to shut up when they do that to you. Yes. You go out there and you win. It's about, yeah, so, 100%. About, yeah. You hear worse so, than pickup, you know, like in those situations. Dude, I heard worse than pickup when I was playing junior high, man. Come <laughs> right. on. Um, we've got four other series, but let's kind of run through them a little bit quickly since we've already we're already sure hour sure in. yeah yeah no we can preview the the other two and then get yeah into it. let's start with this one because here's here's one this is the one I, i'd spend like an extra minute on and that's warriors nuggets because so far the warriors have been handed it to denver and it's a pool party it is absolutely a pool party because <laughs> now we've got death lineup 2.0 jordan pool has been incredible. He's arguably been like one of the top two or three guys in the playoffs so far. He's been incredible. Um, and then him and Steph, you know, doing what they did in game two. Clay, and Steph is still coming Draymond, up the bench. Even I Wiggs mean, is showing up. I, I mean, mean, look at this lineup now because they they'll they'll go small with Draymond at the five. And and Draymond's even said, like, dude. Jordan Poole is playing so good. We have to start him. We have to start this guy. So when you get Steph starting again, the starting lineup, and they played this a little bit, and this is the death lineup. You know, when you go out there and you've got Steph, Clay, Poole, Wiggins, Draymond. Good night, Irene. I mean, there's a lot of shooting going on there. And when they when they got it going and they're um defending well, and then they start running with that lineup. The things that they can do are ridiculous, and they've they've handed it to the Nuggets so far. And um, you could tell that Jokic, it's you know, uh, he's already frustrated, and understandably so. It's tough, you know. I mean, he just doesn't have the support on that team to help him against a team like this. And you know, we saw what the Warriors were during the regular season, and they went through so many injuries, but now. You know, Steph is coming back, still coming off the bench, but you can see him getting healthier and getting back in his groove. I do wonder, considering it is the Nuggets, but they've handled them so far, does it change your mindset about where, how far you think the Nuggets could go? Because I, I kind of thought, like, they're good, but I don't think they got it this year. And, you know, they'll win the first round, but I don't know about past that. And now, you know, maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction because we're only – you know, play two games, you know, in the playoffs for most teams. But it's just like you start looking and going, well, you know, they are the Warriors, you know, and here they come. Not an overreaction at all. Dude, I was watching that Nuggets game, and I think the Nuggets had been on a 14-2 to run. And then the Warriors, I believe the stat was scored 70 points in the next 19 minutes. <laughs> it was just this avalanche-style... Reminded you of those year warriors. Those warriors. They came out and punched you in the damn face because they were moving at a mile a minute, processing everything at a mile a minute, knowing where each other was going, passing it on the perfect dime, shooting the hell out of the ball, getting to the cup. You had Draymond on the dribble handoffs. He had these little underhand shuffle passes uh, over to his shooters at the elbows. You had... Jordan Poole going off the dribble, crazy, crazy shots. Clay Thompson doing his thing. Steph scoring 34 in 23 minutes. That reminded me of the dynasty. And that 
should scare a lot of people <laughs> because if they found a way to elongate this franchise almost the way in the way that the Spurs did when they found Kawhi, you know, when their, you know, legends were going to greener pastures, it was Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Tim Duncan. We obviously know Steph Curry and Draymond Green are getting up there in age. Clay Thompson is still, you know, in his prime per se, but he's still getting up there too. You know, he's 32. But now they found another guy. But who- now you find Jordan Poole. And, and, you're, and, you're, this dude- and, you're, and you're getting Jonathan Kaminga ready for the next level and this level of, of play. And he, I know he's not playing yet, but what I'm saying is you have Kaminga. You have Moses Moody. Kavon Looney is an under underrated player who is giving you so much that's not on the box score. You Spencer, are literally, Jordan. you are extending the, the evil empire. Jordan Poole was in the G League last year. He was, he was in the bubble. He, I, t- I tweeted he about played, that. I was like, oh, he looks kind of loose here. He plays, he has played in two games in the postseason so far. He's averaging 29 and a half points. On 65.5% shooting and almost 59% from three-point range. Come on, man. It's like... This is ridiculous what he's done so far. And this is is what player development means, by the way. I tweeted that out that night. I said, he's a shining example of what player development is. And this is where, when you watch a player in his first year or two or three or even four... And you're trying to say, ah, oh, he's not NBA material. Oh, he's not consistent enough. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're not in the gym with him. You're not watching him practice. You're not watching him get reps. It takes time. It takes time. And even guys that get down to the G League bubble, you're seeing what they can do on the next level on this stage. Like, it's George, it's it's amazing. There are, This is allowing Steph to come back at his own pace to where he's coming off the bench. He can play, you know, 20 to 25 minutes. They're still winning these games. And by maybe by the second round, that's when they say, all right, Steph is good enough to be back in the the starting lineup. And they shift depending on the matchup and they can go with the death lineup then, or they have a decision to make like who comes off the bench because are they going to then shift and go back to pool coming off the bench? They can have Wiggins coming off the bench. It just depends on the matchup, I guess. But there's a lot of different things that they can do, you know, either start games or even obviously throughout a game. And Pool just adds just another incredible dynamic player to this team and what they can do. And they've got Clay back. Still not, you know, the Clay Thompson we thought he were he was, you know, defensively before his two injuries, and understandably so. But he's obviously back in a much better groove. Draymond looks like he's back to normal. Stuff is quickly getting back there, and this is a very, very, very dangerous team now. I'm not an overreactor, but when you hear these things, it's kind of scary. So guess what Clay Thompson's nickname for Jordan Poole is? Oh, what is it? Baby Steph Curry. (laughs) Nothing to live up to there. Steve Kerr. It's pretty remarkable to see the similarities now with the both of them on and off ball stuff. Oh, boy. Draymond, he's been watching Steph a lot. Now he's doing his best in, best impression. I swear to God. I swear to God, if they extend this franchise and this, this dynasty, if they extend it because they found Jordan Poole and Jordan Poole got all this confidence, 
people that are happens, already like uh, people are already barking about like, oh my god, this guy's gonna get paid so much. I'm like, yeah, he well, is. should. And 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 you know what? Uh, I I know that the Grizzlies are already paying a ridiculous amount of tax and everything like that. And guess what? They're going to continue to play a ridiculous amount of tax. They don't care. Warriors, not Grizzlies. Be cool. <laughs> or Warriors, excuse me. I don't know if the Grizzlies have a tax. <laughs> uh, probably not yet. But I mean, I mean, but the Warriors, they're not, they they do not worry about paying. No, thing. not one. They do not. Not one iota, dude. Joe, Joe Lacob will send out his, his checkbook and do whatever it takes to keep these guys around. And here's the thing, dude, like it, it one, did you, did you hear the, 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 the new moniker that, that it's being passed around Warriors Twitter. Which one is that? So they're the Splash Brothers, right? Yes. It is now evolving into the Super Splash Bros. I can see that. It's better than some of the other uh, <laughs> people are trying to do like 3G, you know, going off like, you know, instead of a 5G, it's 3G. Or somebody was trying to start like we should be calling them PTSD. And I'm like, no, let's not go there. No, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But like, yeah, Super Splash Bros. I'm cool with that, man. Let's, or they could just be the Splash Brothers. They just added a third brother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for spending so much time on this. But I do want to make one, one, one quick comment before we move on to the next series. I know why Nicole Jokic is getting frustrated. Um, The officials are definitely giving some leeway to Draymond in that paint. There have been more than a few occasions where Jokic has gotten tackled at one end and then getting got, getting called on the other end for something ticky-tack. And I get that. Um, they're going to need somebody, somebody to step up. I mean, Will Barton, yeah, he could be that guy. I think Monte Morris did a, has done a decent job in the first couple games. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just staring at Aaron Gordon, and I'm just like, I, well, one now, I, now or never, man. One, now or never. One, I feel bad because he was acquired to compliment Michael Porter Jr. and to compliment Jamal Murray and to compliment Nikola Jokic. He was not acquired to be a number two guy, but now, due to circumstance, due to injury, he is being put into this position. So, yeah, it's not where you're supposed to be. It's probably not the role you're supposed to play. But you gotta, you gotta put up. Here you got to put up or yeah. shut up here, and it's yeah, it, absolutely it's it's not your fault, but it it it's a necessity. If you want your season to continue, you've got to do better. You've got to play better, and um, you have to take that to heart. Quick note, by the way, uh, Woj is now saying uh, Devin Booker right hamstring strain is believed to be mild. He's not being ruled out of the series against the Pelicans. But it appears unlikely he will play in games three or four in New Orleans. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. And we even previewed it as such, I think. Um, but, I mean, obviously that sucks. But I, I think mm-hmm. the Suns are definitely, um, you know, deep enough to to cope with that, I think, to come out and at yes. least come back with a tied series. A tied series at worst, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. With 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 those nuggets, you're gonna need you're gonna need somebody else to do some some sort of shot making, or you know, pressure in the rim. I mean, it's not gonna help if there's infighting. I tweeted this out the other day when Will Barton and Demarcus Cousins got into it on the bench. Once your opponent sees that you have them in their grasp mentally, there's no turning back. And when there's already a talent advantage going against you 
or talent disadvantage going against you, I guess I should say. Uh, not a good place to be. Not a good place to be. So they got to clean it up, and they got to clean it up fast. Luckily, the saying always goes, a series never starts until both teams have played a game at home. So we'll leave it at that. But yeah, Warriors back to a dynasty-level type of play. It feels like it. Now, when it comes to injuries, another big one here in the playoffs has been Luka Doncic. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's missed the first two games of the Mavericks, but yet they're tied in their series of one game apiece. A little note about him. Uh, He says he is feeling good, but isn't certain if he'll play in game three, which is uh, Thursday. And he says he will not play if there's a risk of aggravating the injury. Um, And that will be one of the major determining factors of when he is cleared there. So obviously there's a chance he could play in game three. Uh, If not game four, I think looks good for him. Um, But we will see with the series shifting back. And I mean, the jazz have had an opportunity here without Luca. Oh my God. Guys cover the corners for the love of God. I I just want to, I want that Chris Farley uh, scene where he goes (laughs) for the love of God. Like, I'm just watching this game, and I'm seeing, obviously, they're paying attention to Jalen Brunson. He's having a career night. Amazing, amazing game for Jalen Brunson. Great game for Spencer Dinwiddie uh, as far as putting the ball on the floor goes uh, and and finding his teammates. But I'm just watching Maxi Kleba, corner three. I'm watching Torian Finney-Smith, corner three. Reggie Bullock, corner three. Guess what? Maxi Kleba, corner three. Maxi Kleba. Elbow three. Guard the perimeter, people. Guard the perimeter. <laughs> That's all masking. That's all masking. And what a just horrendous fourth quarter they had. Um, going to continue to keep pointing you back to basketballnews.com. Nikias Duncan did a great job at how bad they were team wide. Everyone wanted to put the onus and put the blame on Rudy Gobert because he's somebody who patrols the paint, and people say they play him out of the games. He can't patrol the paint and close out under the perimeter at the same time. It's impossible. Donovan Mitchell, do your job. Bojan Bogdanovich, do your job. Royce O'Neal, do your job. Daniel House Jr., do your job. And that's something that Rudy brought up during the regular season that I think we saw play out in this game because Brunson was slinging it to the corners and Spence was slinging it to the corners and they just didn't find them. They didn't keep an eye on them or a body or anything and they made 17 threes i think it was that's absurd absolutely absurd the jazz have had a golden opportunity in the series playing two games without luca and i'm not trying to put down the rest of this mavericks team six of their 10 threes. sorry came in the fourth but luca is obviously by far their best player they've had an opportunity here and guess what they gave up home they, they lost one of the games it's 1-1. They, they already lost one without Luka. They could be up 2-0. Yeah. They blew it. They should be. And and Luka's getting ready to come back. I don't know if it's going to be a three or if it's going to be game four, but Luka's about to come back. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> tough on them. Uh, they'll have to figure it out, though. And, and, and Donovan, I know had, Donovan had, had a say, dynamite first half. Uh, the the it, second half was absolutely abysmal on the offensive end. And, and I know the Mavericks had home court advantage. People go like, oh, well, Utah's home court advantage now. But I still look at it as they were without their best guy. You had a golden opportunity here to really take advantage of this and grab this series by the throat, and they didn't do it. Now, mind you, the Jazz 
that'll have home court advantage. They get to go home for the next two, you know, but you know, I, I, I just look at it in a different way and that like when they have their best player is gone, you, you got to take advantage of this and they did not do that. And you know, this, this series is going to be, you know, super competitive here. I undersold it by the way. It was 22, 22 threes that 22. Sorry. Sorry. Jeez. Maxi Kleba with 25 points and he had eight of those threes. Jalen Brunson had six of them and Finney Smith and Bullock had three apiece. And Brunson, Brunson went had off his, in that yeah. game too. Jeez. Make your money, Mr. Villanova. Make your money. You ain't kidding. Oh my goodness. Off the bounce. He was it was beautiful. He was beating everybody off the bounce from the perimeter. He was shooting the ball. He had some heat checks that worked out for him. Got into the paint, got to the rim, all that good stuff. He looked just absolutely tremendous. So good for Jalen Brunson. And uh, some timely shots being made from Reggie Bullock and, and Finney Smith and, of course, Kleba. And shout out, oh, by the way, uh, for the Jazz's side, shout out to Bo- Bogey. Um, if that thing blows up in the, the summer, Bogey should not be to blame. How many times have I said this season, Brian, how important this dude is to this team? He hit so many crowd silencer shots to keep them in the game in that fourth quarter. Came out and scored a boatload of points in the first game and was a huge reason for their win then. I think that guy deserves the world, at least on the offensive end. I know uh, defensively he slipped up a little bit there in game two, but he's an unsung hero of that team. He is, but as, I mean, if the Jazz lose this series. Oh, you can say Sayonara. There's there's going to be some huge changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's going to happen. And I flip flopped on them. I flip flopped on there so much this year. I'll I'll even admit that. I'll be like, I I, I'm not going to go back and say I told you so either way. Like I flip flopped on them so many times this year so far. That everybody does every year. Yeah, they're 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 tough. They're a regular season team, you know, (laughs) and they're tough to to get. Oh man, to get a thing on. (sighs) Only two more. Only two more to go. Two more to go. Bucks again lead the Bulls. You know, they take game one. It was a really close game. It was the Alex Caruso game because, I mean, that dude was all over the place and has fingerprints on everything. Low scoring game, but the Bucks took control of that game late. And I I still see the Bucks winning this in four or five. I just don't think Chicago has enough. But that first game was a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. No, I thought the way that the game started was I was like, okay, that's the series right there. That's how it's going to be. Like, it, they're just too much for them. They don't have an answer for Giannis coming down the the the, the hole. I, you know, Brooke Lopez got off to a great start. I was going to say, it, it was it was Caruso versus Brooke Lopez in this game. Well, here's the, the thing. the dominant factor. Here's the thing, though, Bri. Like, you know, it wasn't a great start from the field for a lot of these guys uh, in Chicago. But Levine and Vooch, they had a solid second half. Um, And I think that... uh, I think Vooch showed me that that he's going to try his ass off in this series and try to dispel some of those, you know, preconceived notions about him. Going to need more from DeMar. DeMar just did not have it towards, you know, down the stretch. Um, maybe we're going to have to see a little bit more Kobe White, who was aggressive as hell when he was in the game. That's for damn sure. Um, but I, the Bucks they're just so loaded. Um, you know, Bobby Portis, I, I love what he brings off the bench for that team. Connaughton, 
doesn't have he didn't have the prettiest offensive game, but he's just so well versed. Um, I, I thought the Bucks. I will say this. Um, I, I thought the Bucks got away from uh, got away from, with some uh, calls down the stretch in the fourth. Like there was an over the back on on Patrick Williams that was called against Patrick Williams. I didn't think that was a great call. Uh, they had it real close down the, down the, as we got into crunch time. It was an 89-86 game. So they they definitely were hanging around. Bulls were hanging around. Um, you know, shoot. It was a the, the Bulls took the lead actually uh with about yeah, about halfway through the fourth quarter they took the lead. It was like a 75-74 game. It was something like that. So it was really low scoring and and then the Bucks went on a bit of a run and just took control of that game. Well, but yeah, Mr. they fourth let, quarter they let Drew, you know, Drew and Brooke yeah. ended up, you know, getting the back. And then, uh, you know, from there, you know, they, they just locked down and played some good defense. And I, I think Zach Levine, I think it was a three point game and he got a little overzealous and he oh, shot, yeah, he he shot like a 30 footer or something. Early. Yeah. It was way too early on the clock and he should have looked for, cause he was trying to tie the game up and, yeah. They didn't need a three at that point. There was still, what, like 35 seconds or something left in the game. There was enough time where they could have gotten another possession. And, yeah, it was a bad shot. Yeah. But they, they, were, they were in it to the end. But yeah. I, I I do think that the Bucks. I mean, we keep – this is what they did during the season. We kept waiting for them to amp it up, you know, and, and play to the moment. And they closed this game out. They won. Um, Budenholz are not great in his, his game ones, by the way. So that kind of is a little bit of a monkey off of his back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, if they can like, you know, show us a little bit more of that that championship swagger. Demar ain't going uh, six to twenty five yeah. in game two, though. I'll say that probably not. But you know, I expect Giannis to even have a better game. I expect you know, um, Holiday have a little bit of a better game. I don't, I don't expect them to have to lean on Brook Lopez as much as they did because he had what like twenty eight, and, and it like he had he had eighteen, but. It was the, the, the it was eighteen. Yeah. Why was I think it was twenty eight? Yeah, it, it was, felt like it was twenty eight. It, it was it was him and Holiday that helped them down the stretch in the fourth. Like that's just yeah. that's just and that's good because I mean you need you need your guys to do that. Um, and I I'd say probably um, Chris Middleton will get his groove going as the season series goes on. We all know how Chris operates in the playoffs, right? Yeah. So um, he gets it's a little while before the the engine starts going. So. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a, at at max a, a five game series. And our last one, save the best Six, for last, Bry. Save the Sixers best for last. lead the Raptors two nothing. This, I mean, I along with some others said Toronto is going to be just a very very difficult team to deal with with how hard they play. Questions about James Harden, all these different things, and all the Sixers have done is put a whooping on them so far. And now the series, while it shifts to Toronto, uh, the Raptors are banged up. They look overmatched. And uh, and Embiid has been Embiid. Harden has looked better. But Tyrese Maxey has been the third guy for Philly. And he's stepped up with some big games so far. And he has been such a difference maker for the Sixers so far in these two games. Yes, Yes, no question. Uh, what a job, Tyrese Maxey, that first game, 38 um, off the rip. And, dude, like, to a larger point, I think we have to really understand that 
the youth is here and the league is in great hands. Like these aren't signature names yet, and and they're going to be signature names, but we're just seeing so many big time performances from some of these young cats, and and I just love it. I love it because they're making names for themselves. So it's just really fun to watch. But Maxie's one of those. Uh, it's tough start to the game yesterday or, or, or on, uh, on on Monday for for Maxie. Didn't you know really uh, you know impact the game too much? Um, I don't think he scored in the first quarter, if I'm correct. He didn't, but he finished yeah. with 23. Scored, and, yeah, you know. no, I was going to say, he scored 11 in the second quarter, and then from there he was making plays for his teammates off, you know, either off hockey assists or he was, you know, somebody that was um, helping find, you know, Danny Green. Like, what I tell you before the series starts? Had, uh, who's going to be Danny Green? <laughs> what, what happened? Danny Green made a bunch of threes in the game, too. Well, here's the thing, too. Maxie has played so well and give a lot of credit to Tobias Harris, who has really played great yes, so far in these first two games. He has played a perfect role. Oh, my god. He has been great. And because of that, it's allowed them to not have to depend so much on Harden. Harden had a good first game. Second game, not so much with just, you know, three for nine from the field and just 14 points. But they didn't need it for him because those other two guys have played so well. Yes. Yes. No question. And I, I feel like even in that the game yesterday, or I keep saying yesterday, I keep yeah. I, I can't <laughs> keep track of time. But Monday, Harden, I, I feel like that was completely his best game um, of, of the postseason. I think like just all together, I thought defensively Harden was good. He got, you know, got three steals and blocked a couple of shots. I thought that he got into uh, guys' bodies. And it was really nice to see. You see that, you know, Embiid scores 31 and 11, gets 14 or 12 of those points from the line. He has a little conversation with Nick Nurse after the game. Uh, they're talking about free throw line discrepancies and whatnot. I say, and, you know, forgive to disagree with me and whatever you want to do, but I, 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 even though I've seen the way that this team operates with Harden and Embiid and, when they, you know, try to flop for calls and whatnot. But I'd say about 80% of the time, they're fouls, guys. They're fouls. And Embiid's just kind of this overwhelming presence that he's getting that whistle. I, I know that people want to scream grifter and whatnot, but when I'm watching these games, I'm like, ah, that's a foul. That's a foul. Oh, and that's a foul, too. So I can't completely, you know say that it's a grift. I will agree that there are some that have the capability of changing momentum. I get that. But the Raptors are just being outplayed. Guys, the, the well, Raptors the are being outplayed, too, guys. This is what they it is. are. And and Nick Nurse, I know he's complaining a lot with the refs and Embiid had his conversation with him about it. But you know what? This is what coaches do as well. And I thought that Nurse handled it very well afterwards saying, hey, yeah, we had a conversation about it. And, you know, it is what it is. You know? And I mean, when your team is down and getting pummeled, I mean, Nurse is trying to do whatever he can to help his team. And if that means complaining about the refs, and that's what he's going to do. That's what coaches do. He's far from the first guy, and he's not going to be the last guy to do it. Sure. And I think uh, on the opposite end, uh, one, 
he, you know, he's dealing with illness and he's trying to battle through it. But the first two games, uh, Sixers have played Gary Trent off the floor. Uh, need to see much more of that three elongated armed lineup, I think, of Boucher, Siakam, and Achua with OG in there. By the way, OG looked tremendous in the run that they made, the run that Toronto made. Um, in the fourth, I think they cut it down to about 12 or so. OG was a big part of that. OG was catching the ball on the perimeter and pump faking guys and getting inside and making these really nice dribble drive moves that we hadn't seen in a little while. He'd get into the paint. He'd do, do a couple of, you know, um, you know, pull-ups. He would get inside for some really acrobatic layup type things. You know, he shot the ball well from deep. So that's a positive. I thought Chris Boucher coming off the bench was a positive. He's on cleanup duty, of course. 6-0 rebounds. Um, you know, a couple blocks. One of them, one of them was a clean block that was called a goaltending on Embiid. I'll remember that one. I think Pascal's been fine. I, I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I just think... But he hasn't been great, and that's what they need. They need him to be great. Well, they need him to be great if Fred's going to be as off of he, as he is. And you could just tell from the tip. Even though Fred got off to, I think, a 15-point first quarter. Yeah, 15 points in the first quarter. Even though Fred got off to that start, you could see that he was starting to get exhausted. And you know why? He played the entire first half. <laughs> he played the into a one, yeah. He played the entire first half. Uh, sat for about half of the third quarter and then played the entire fourth quarter. So Nick was mm-hmm. leaning on him heavy. 44 minutes, that'd be a game high between the two teams. So, I mean, yeah, of course, he's not going to have legs on any jumpers. He, he's being ridden out here. So, yeah, that's it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, Raptor's going to take it back to the north, though. And I think that will give them some juice. It will. Well, I think I think the Sixers also looked at the series like, oh, you know, nobody's talking about us, you know, so we'll show them. I mean, they they they've got a little chip on their shoulder, and and they showed it so far. And um, they have, you know, we'll we'll see if that continues here in Game Three. Uh, Special shout I, out for the Sixers, by the way, Paul Reed, aka B Ball Paul, getting chance in the playoffs. Absolutely love it. Covered that dude in in summer league. Uh, the last couple of years. Love to see him get his moments. He's the backup center right now for Embiid. They have not gone with DeAndre Jordan. They've gone with B-Ball Paul instead, and he's given them some solid minutes. Sixers have looked great so far. You cannot deny what they have done. I think in, I think Embiid plays so much better with a chip on his shoulder when somebody doubts him. He, he loves to play like that, and uh, they've delivered so far. <laughs> Did you see... I, I think it was Fred Van Vliet's reaction sitting on the bench. One of the few minutes he was sitting on the bench of this game in the third quarter when Embiid was kind of stuck in a corner and he got doubled and he just did a couple dribble moves and then shot a fadeaway over two arms and it just splashed. And you just saw that like there wasn't even a reaction. Like Fred just blankly stared into the air after he saw that. It's like, what can you do? What yeah. in the hell can you do? I mean, the Raptors overmatch. We don't know if Scotty Barnes is going to play yet in game three. Yeah, that should be um, a big part of what we're discussing here because Scotty looked tremendous in game one. He looked tremendous I mean, they're, they're, in game one. 
and then he goes down. They're they're banged up. I mean, they they might not be at full strength, and they're facing a Sixers team that is really clicking right now. Sure, I think I think what we have to see is Nurse go to Flynn, go to Malachi Flynn, maybe try Armani Brooks out. Who we'll see? Um, keep trusting Precious. Keep trusting uh, Boucher. I don't know. I mean, you obviously have to have a body in there to contain Embiid, but I don't know how many minutes I'm going to continue to give to Kem Birch. You know, like, it's it's a tough decision. But uh, their back's against the wall here. This is uh, as much must-win of a game as they'll have, and I think that they'll end up pulling it out. As, as down as the chips are here for them, I feel like they're going to pull this out. They're going back to their home crowd. They know how to do it. They're going to egg everybody on. I feel like, you know, Harden will probably have a good individual performance, but I don't see Tobias continuing this on the road. I don't know if, you know, Maxi continues this on the road. It's those types of players on the road that it changes. It flips, right? So maybe it we does, see some but better. They've, but they've got Joel Embiid. They do. And they do. I, the, the, the Raptors do not have an answer for him. And I... I have to totally change my mind in that this is a series where I thought the Sixers were going to be in a lot of trouble going into it. I thought that uh, it wasn't a great matchup for them, and I'm totally wrong. And I wonder now if the Sixers can take care of this pretty quick. Wow. You're you're already pushing in the chips here. You're already, you're already calling it a I mean, day. What, I mean, it, it, these games have not been close. They've been overmatched. And I understand... You now go to Toronto, but the Sixers just, it just looks like they have too much firepower. Championship pedigree, my friend, championship pedigree. I don't, I don't, I don't think, no, I don't think it's done. I don't, but I know what's done this podcast. I was just going to go into that. How about that? Uh, don't forget guys, the official ticket marketplace of basketball news.com is Ticket smarter, looking to go to the hottest concert, sports, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Order online now. That's it for us. We want to tell you right now we're part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Got other great ones for you to listen to, not all including the Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr., the Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy. The rematch with Aton Thomas. He just had Kenny Anderson on, New Yorkers. You're going to want to listen to that. Dishes and Dimes with the ladies. You have uh, Iman Adan, who did an excellent job with all of her podcasts previewing these series, so please listen to those. Interviewed someone from each team, covering each team, uh, to get those previews, so definitely listen to those. Uh, nothing But Bets, a daily gambling podcast hosted by Evan Sattery, and of course us, Right here at Keep It at 94. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Another reminder, go to basketballnews.com. We've got great interviews. We've got great film breakdowns, analysis of each series, draft coverage. Our first mock draft is live. Matt Babcock, Derek Murray, and their team have done an amazing job. So please, please, please download our app. Support us online, however you want to do. We're on Twitter as well, at Basketball News. Remove the E. That's a little confusing. Just go with it. <laughs> but other than that, you can find me on Twitter at Spin Davies. I'm also on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Twitter at Brian Fritz and on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. Until next week, maybe we'll have a series over. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be right back in sm- smack dab in the middle of the first round. Who knows where we'll be? 
but uh, keep it at 94. Keep us right in your hearts and in your pockets and in your ear holes. And until next week, we will talk to you another time. 